tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wounded. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Tigers, tigers, tigers. Man, I am excited about this. Uh, I hope our super producer, the one and only Mr. Max Williams, is excited as well. Who am I? I'm Ben. Noel, tigers. Tigers, tigers, burning bright. Well, at least one burning pretty bright. Not in the, what is it, forest of the night, but in the streets of London town. And what better introduction is there for part two of our show on Charles Jamrock? In 1857, at the high point of his success, he gets his crown jewel, a fully grown Bengal tiger that came to England from the East Indies. This takes us to that morning we talked about at the very top, the morning of October 26, when the tiger and several other large felines, by the way, arrives at the Belt Street Menagerie. It arrives in London, and it immediately escapes because it's in this large crate that has, um, if you picture it, it's got three solid wood sides, and then it's got one side with thick iron vertical bars across the front. And Jamrock has gone to this place in person because he wants to supervise the logistics of moving this tiger from its transport crate to its permanent enclosure. And so he says, okay, let's position the crate so that the bars are placed against the wall of the yard while we're getting its permanent home ready. And that sounded pretty safe, right? You got iron bars, you got it against the wall. But the thing is, Jamrock didn't have a lot of experience with the power of a fully grown tiger and they're absolute beast and they're brilliant. 
I love Tigers, by the way. And they were going to, as he says later in an issue of a magazine called The Boy's Own Paper. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> seventy nine. I love these titles. Uh, he says, he talks about this. Uh, he says, they, meaning the workers, were proceeding to take down a den with leopards when all of the sudden, I heard a crash, and to my horror, found the big tiger had pushed out the back part of his den with his hind quarters. He kind of donkey kicked it, you know, and was walking down the yard into the street, which was then full of people watching the arrival of this curious merchandise. Dude, this reminds me of the opening scene of Jurassic Park, you mm -hmm. know, when they're like transporting the Velociraptor paddock or whatever. Maybe that was another, the paddock is the thing that they actually live in. Um, this was like a crate, you know, and then you sort of see all this kerfuffle and then the thing gets out. You just hear the sounds and then people are like, you know, murdered or whatever. This is like a little bit less sci-fi version of that. But yeah, can you imagine? seeing this fully grown, uh, absolutely monstrous tiger just kind of sauntering down the high street. Yeah, yeah, that is a breathtaking image. I think the closest I've seen to that is a few years ago when a zebra got loose from the Atlanta Zoo and was out in the city. Um, but this this stuff does happen. Uh, and a zebra is still a wild animal. Don't mess with them, but it's not as likely to maul you as a tiger. <laughs> so... This is like a, a, a increasingly escalating situation and just gets worse and worse because the tiger, who, as you notice, kind of sauntering around like, oh, this is, this is a different environment, sees a nine-year-old boy because the boy, who has also had no experience with a tiger, to, to this kid, it's just a big cat. So he tries to reach out and just give the cat a little pet as it's walking past. The tiger notices it. The tiger turns and then uh, it's, the, the tiger slaps the kid across the face, knocking him down, picks him up by his jacket and just like starts dragging him down the street. It's the shoulder of his jacket, I think. And the, the kid is, is freaking out. Uh, and then Jamrock. And again, there might be some bias here because Jamrock is telling his own story to the boy, his own paper. Uh, he says he springs into immediate action. Yeah, he says, when I saw the boy being carried off in this manner and witnessed the panic that had seized hold of the people without further thought, I dashed after the brute. Uh, I was then of a more vigorous frame than now uh, and had plenty of pluck and dash in me. So just again, to like kind of like sum up what was happening, we, we say the tiger had the boy in his mouth, but it's almost like cartoonish, right? Like the, the tiger's like holding the boy by like the scruff of his jacket, right? Ooh, and that's yeah. what's in his mouth and it's holding the boy up, but he has not actually sunk his teeth into the actual, you know, kid, uh, mm -hmm. into the kid's body. Um, so at this point, it's absolute pandemonium. The crowd's dispersing. People are running for their lives. Jamrock, you know, sprinting in his more... Uh, youthful limber form as he put it uh, or vigorous rather uh, sprinting after the tiger um, he throws himself onto the tiger's back I mean this is some pretty heavy heroic yeah. type stuff if it I wasn't like it. you know his fault in the first place <laughs> um, and he grabs the tiger by the scruff of its neck like I mean that seems like a little bit of a wasted effort uh, and, and understandably it doesn't do much uh, the tiger is incredibly strong and it like you know mechanical bull style tosses Jamrock off its back uh, and into the street and retains hold of the boy in his teeth. Yeah, yeah. And so this is a panic moment. Uh, Max, 
I know you've got some action music here. This <laughs> is a panic moment. Jamrock tries a second time to stop the tiger. And this is when he gets creative. He tries to trip it. And it works. And, you know, it's lost to history about how he manages to trip it. But as, I like to picture him just sticking his foot out. But <laughs> as the tiger falls to the ground, Jamrock then jumps back on its back and he puts his hands around its neck and he's trying to strangle it. And as he's trying to put it to sleep, one of the workers from his menagerie yard runs over and hits it three times over the head with a crowbar right between the eyes. And then this causes the tiger to release the kid, his jaws open. And then at this point, Jamrock says, you know, I thought the tiger was dead or was dying. So I let go of it. And as soon as I did, it jumped back up again. And then he's like, oh, no. And he grabs the crowbar and he says, I gave him with all the strength I had left a blow over the head. He seemed quite cowed. He turned tail. He went back toward the stables. I drove him into the yard, closed the doors at once. Looking around for my tiger, I found he snuck into a large, empty den. Uh, two of my men had jumped into an elephant's box. They descended. They pushed down the the iron siding for the door. And so now the tiger was safely under lock and key. The boy is uninjured. They say the tiger is uninjured, but that tiger took three massive blows to the head with a crowbar, just to give totally. you a sense of how rough these dudes are. Now, listen, I'm not like some kind of like over the top PETA person. I believe in animal rights. Like, obviously, uh, it's a very, very important thing. These are living creatures that need to be treated with respect. I think sometimes the PETA folks go a little far. But in this case, this is literally a situation that was caused by Jamrock himself and his capitalization and essentially victimization of these creatures that would never have had to be dealt with in this way if he hadn't have put them in that situation in the first place. So mm -hmm. uh, essentially he was like, I, I used the word heroic earlier. That was absolutely incorrect. I mean, the guy is essentially trying to keep himself from having to deal with a PR nightmare. And in doing so, you know, absolutely bludgeoning to death this, uh, this incredible creature that he put in harm's way and yeah. put everyone else in harm's way because he took this thing out of its normal context. And it's uh, not meant to be roaming the streets of London or like, you know, traveling around in crates. Yeah. In, in my opinion, the tiger here is just as much of a victim as the boy. It's not the first time a tiger had been loose on that same street. One escaped from one of those traveling menageries we mentioned uh, back in 1839. Uh, George Well Wamwell, that's his real name, folks. George Well Wamwell's traveling menagerie. <laughs> Their tiger got loose. Uh, yeah, the kid just had some scratches and probably a headache and a heck of a story for his schoolmates. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, 
The co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There is one interesting wrinkle. The BBC points this out in the uh, when wild beasts roam the UK uh, BBC news piece. Uh, they they note that you know there was a lot of racism involved in the British Empire at the time, and England in 1857 was in the grip of a panic because of the Indian mutiny and. A tiger was a symbol of India, so it was an especially symbolic, frightening thing to see this tiger in lo- loose in London. And one newspaper account from the time even explicitly drew this connection. But at this point, the tiger survived. Jamrock survived. Uh, he had a little bit of a Liam Neeson-esque story to tell his friends. And the child survived. But what happens after? Well, the boy's father sues Jamrock, and Jamrock has to pay a grand total of 300 pounds, 60 pounds compensation, 240 pounds legal costs. We've got an inflation calculator on this, I think. Yeah, so about uh, 60 pounds uh, by today's standard would be about seven grand, and 240 pounds would be around $28,500. So I mean, at this point, Ben, wouldn't you say that Jamrock himself, because of his success uh, and um, relationships with all of these like super, super upper crust folks, he would have been pretty upper crust at this point, right? Oh, yeah. He was making money. Yeah. And, so and he also, was essentially protected from any real um, ramifications for this incident. This was an utter slap on the wrist, if that. Yeah, it's not breaking the bank for him at all. Also, it's kind of it's darkly hilarious to me that they're like, OK, seven thousand dollars is our sorry about the tiger money and uh, the almost thirty thousand dollars just administrative fees. Yep. You know, it's like buying from Ticketmaster. Uh, totally. I said it, but the the, the judge. Uh, it's interesting the point you make because the judge himself was conflicted because yeah, this is a dangerous incident. It is Jamrock's fault, but he also said, you know, this guy on the other hand should have been rewarded for saving not just the life of this nine year old, but maybe that of a lot of other people. Because look, I I don't know how in shape you are, but unarmed, I guarantee you. Uh, you cannot 
you cannot win a one-on-one against the tiger um <laughs> at nope. all yeah nope not 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 in a foot race not in arm wrestling certainly not in hand to paw combat uh you are going to lose I just looked it up, like, according to Google, like, a Bengal tiger is, like, 310 to 490 pounds. Yeah. Like, this is a massive, like, there are, like, of, like, you know, cats. This is about as big of a cat as it comes. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, just for perspective, if you, if you want to uh, think of it this way, uh, a tiger is an incredibly strong animal. It can carry something like 550 kilograms. 10 feet up a tree. 550 kilograms for all of us in the U.S. is 1,212 pounds. That's what, do you even lift, cat bro? You know what I mean? That's what the tiger would ask you. So this is not the end of Jamrock's financial standing, nor of his career. Like you said, it doesn't break his bank. The tiger later gets sold to that George Womwell guy. And I've seen his name as George Well Womwell and George Womwell, but I love George Well Womwell, so I hope that's his real name. Uh, this guy made money off of that incident, just like we said with the, the earlier uh, folks who said, oh, look, this lion actually killed someone. Mm, this is the tiger that escaped and <laughs> roamed the streets, menacing the good people of London town. He even swallowed a boy whole, just ate the whole boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, let's, 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 let's let the facts stand in the way of a good story, right? Exactly. And then Jamrock even partners. uh, So he expands his collection. His business is still growing. His client list is still growing. He eventually gets P.T. Barnum as a client and helps Barnum restock his circus after a fire. But while he is succeeding, his business is succeeding uh, in specific. In general, the exotic animal trade is starting to die down. People are less and less interested in exotic animals, or not as much as they have been in the past. Jamrock passes away of 1891, and just like what happened with his father, his son, Albert, takes over after his death. But then we see the outbreak of World War I. World War I absolutely demolishes the international trade networks that made this animal trade possible, so the company closes down, and this ends the chapter. Well, this ends the main chapter on the life of London's Tiger King. He's gone, but he's very much not forgotten. Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I do believe it was a typo. The gentleman's name was George Womwell. Not George Well Womwell, but... The, the, I'm the, keeping that George name. Well Womwell. Oh, I mean, it, it needs to be kept because it's incredible. I just wanted to make sure people weren't Googling it and beating their head against the wall because you're not going to find it. But uh, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic typo that shall live on in our hearts. Okay, listen, Noel, I think we've been at some loggerheads in this episode. First, I'm going to say those restaurants are named after Charles Jamrock. And secondly, I'm going to say his name was George Well Womwell because I want to yeah. live in a world with some magic. And I want to live there with you, buddy. I want to live there with you. Uh, Far be it for me to suck any magic out of the world. We need every little ounce that we can. But Jamrock's memory does remain. Today, you can find a statue commemorating his contribution to the culture of Victoria, England. Uh, And, well, I guess, I don't know if I would entirely call it selfless, but his uh, rescue of that boy, you know, that he himself um, was responsible for putting in harm's way. 
there is a seven-foot-tall bronze tiger that stands in the entrance to Tobacco Dock, uh, and that's very close to where the incident took place, and it's memorialized also with, like, a little plaque. But this was not the only time that Jamrock's business potentially threatened the safety and well-being of others, right, Ben? Oh, yeah. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Also raccoons. So... (laughs) So uh, in 1877, July of 1877, there's this report in the East London Observer, and you can read this referenced in a great article by Londonist.com that talks about how one of Jamrock's other tigers escaped from a train on the London and Northwestern Railway in a village called Whedon near Northampton. Uh, And then three lions escaped from his shop and, and found his wife. Mary in a nearby parlor, uh, he managed to he managed to yell like Mary Lions in enough time for her to close the door. Ah, uh, thanks, hon. <laughs> thanks. Good looking out Get that door there. Okie dokie. Back to back to what I was doing. Yeah, he he did he did manage to to lock all the lions back up in a second bedroom um where they stayed until he was able to get a handler to come and get them. Um cuz he, you know, well, well he was I guess he he had a certain set of skills, right? He was not necessarily a lion tamer or a handler. He employed, you know, folks that were much more hands-on with the with the animals. Um but he did seem to have to kind of jump to attention a couple times. And we also know that uh, he had a raccoon uh, that was known to have escaped from his care. Probably not. Doesn't make quite as good a story. Um, we know that raccoons are pretty, pretty tricksy, though, right? They can like uh, they've got their little hands. They're mm-hmm. crafty. They can like uh, unlatch doors and stuff. I would imagine. And they can walk. Uh, they they can walk bipedally briefly. You've probably seen that video of a raccoon stealing cat food in front of some cats. But when they do, they always look like they're scheming. That's the thing about raccoons. They look like they're scheming. They look like they got, you know, they're always doing this kind of Monty Burns thing, rubbing their hands mm-hmm. together. Um, mm-hmm. I say that out of love. Uh, but uh, there, there is something else interesting we found too, which is uh, an economic look at this. And I, I just picked one example that I thought would be a fun walkthrough. So we said he had a lot of stock. He he had more than just tigers. He had zebras, leopards, ostriches, bears, polar bears, etc. You name it. If the if you had the scratch, he could probably get it for you. Uh so we found a article from the time that is available at the eastend.co.uk, which shows the prices of animals on offer. So you can find those prices. And I just thought we could do a quick example of this. So Nola Max and I are looking at this list and the prices seem kind of odd. So I wanted to do a couple of steps. I just took one example. So a polar bear, if you wanted to buy one from Jamrock was 25 pounds. 25 pounds nowadays is $33.05. So I thought, how much is $33.05 in 1857? Uh, if we can hit me with the boop. And a boop. Perfect. That is a grand total of, now this is weird, guys. Get this. That's a grand total of $1,055.88, which is less than like a high-end Mac laptop. So that's a crazy low price for a polar bear, right? Doesn't that seem yeah. low? 
it does seem low, Ben, but it's sort of like owning a Bugatti or something, right? Exactly. Like you buy the car, but then there's this built-in cost of ownership where you have to take it to a certain, you know, Bugatti expert who uh, does a certain type of, um, you know, regiment. Uh, they can't be done just by any auto technician, um, such is the case. Can you imagine about how much, like, meat you would have to buy all the time? You don't just get polar bear food and, and feed it once a day. I mean, it would be a whole thing. So Ooh. people that aren't considering that are going to have a weird, emaciated, and very angry and ravenous polar bear on their hands. The most expensive of the things that we have on menu here was, in fact, the tiger, which would have gone for around 300 pounds at the time, which today um, would be in the, what, tens of thousands? Yeah, so a pound to a dollar, and this is not perfect because I'm doing the conversions for the present pound to dollar difference, but uh, 300 pounds today would be 396 dollars and 66 cents us which means that in 1857 a tiger would cost you the equivalent of twelve thousand six hundred and seventy two dollars and 51 cents which is still less than a lot of cars it's just like i i was thinking of that maintenance point too it's something a lot of people forget it's like one of the main reasons i don't own a dirigible um or a tiger well you got to have somewhere to tie it down first of all ben and then like you know how do you how do you board it? What's the I have a helium? question though. Yeah, go. So, how much was a porpoise from him? Because we established you could get a porpoise, right? We did not establish that, Max. We we conjectured that it was entirely possible. He didn't seem to deal in uh, sea creatures. I haven't seen mm. many of those. These have all these all seem to be land dwelling, and that's why uh, he's not the greatest of all time. He's oh not. wow! Well, poor people can go see. <laughs> can go observe maritime creatures. So maybe that was maybe that was part of his calculus there. Maybe he was like, I don't want to buy anything that the average peasant could just observe from a rocky shore somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I bet he would have gotten into narwhals. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think, I think they were believed to be mystical creatures for a very long time. I personally thought they were uh, mythical until literally a year or so ago. Didn't realize I, they were. I mean, they're water remember. unicorns. So, I they mean, are. it makes it makes sense for them to be mythical, but they're not. Also, that's a tooth. That's not really a horn. That's one of their teeth. Right. Yeah. Not very functional, though. <laughs> no. It's a, I mean, it's a definite, it's a choice, I think is what I would call it. It's a choice. God but, is weird. <laughs> I mean, I, I love I love the ideas of uh, I love the ideas of an intelligent design that just eventually gets into this freestyle. What do we have left over phase? You know, with the I'm platypus. Bored. Yeah. <laughs> how, about, how about a how about like a, a sea cow that has one weird, giant, useless tooth? Yeah, we got to make one, one more thing. What do we have? Well, we got these uh, we got these like uh, snake like insects and then we got like hundreds of feet. All right, fine. Centipedes. I'll just Got be it. a thing. <laughs> so the fact that we keep on finding out more stuff about the platypus blows me that like they're bioluminescent now. Did uh-huh. you guys know that? Yeah. Like, what? What? Why do they have like everything weird about them? Aust- news to Australia. Me, guys. Yeah, it's Australia. They're also uh, poisonous. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The very first menagerie that was recorded, it goes way back, like you were saying earlier, Noel, to the 13th century. The Tower of London menagerie uh, was first entered in the historical record way back in 1210 CE, and it was known to house these elephants, these lions, uh, hippos, probably one of their most famous folks, like the Kobe of their team was a polar bear, which would swim in the Thames, which I think is a cool sort of, I, I think that's a cool idea. Uh, but also I think we're about to learn about one of the coolest jobs in London at the time. Yeah. I'm wondering though, at this time were the, were the famous swans that uh, swim in the Thames that are also notoriously ill-tempered. Were they oh, yeah. coexisting with this polar bear at the time? I, I don't know. We'll have to find out, look a little deeper, but yeah, Alfred Copps was the keeper of the tower menagerie uh, in 1822. And on his watch, one of his uh, underlings, a, a, a junior keeper, accidentally raised a door, like an iron door that separated a lion and a tiger and a tigress, uh, allowing them to, you know, kind of commingle into each other's habitats and get into a massive brawl. Like, think like cartoon, you know, like dust brawl where you see the one poor beaten down creature crawling out and then a, 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 a paw reaches out and pulls it back in by its tail. That's totally how this went down. No question about it. Um, they were separated using uh, what is called here in this article uh, in the Londonist hot rods, but I assume that probably just means iron rods that were heated uh, to, you know, the glowing heat uh, in a fire. So again, very, very brutal. Uh, but the lion died a few days later from the, the injuries that sustained in the fight. Uh, and also presumably maybe from being poked with hot rods. It would be kind of interesting if highly anachronistic, if the hot rods were like race cars. That'd be and cool. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, we can, we can Michael Bay that one. Uh, we also, I, I do want to take one second though and tell, tell you guys about a book. We used to always be recommending, um, comic books and, and other books, but I was thinking about interesting jobs in the Tower of London. And I've, I finished this book earlier this year called The Raven Master, which is all about the guy named Christopher Scaife, whose entire job is to be in charge of the famous ravens at the Tower of London. It's a really cool read. And I wonder if he would be an interesting person to interview. Look at his fit, man. Can you guys see this on the camera? Look at that. That's a flex. Hang on. Oh, hang on. Let me see. Oh, yes, exactly. Those are the famous uh, tower guards that you can't get him to crack a smile. He uh, he he writes like he is probably a lot of fun to hang out with. But uh, but yes, the Tower of London is amazing. It has this history of um, interactions with animals and we know that there were more uh, more problems with the menagerie at the Tower of London. Uh, what was it? Like the Leeds Times that reported a large and furious wolf had managed to escape the menagerie and it was on its way to the drawbridge and they had to like shut the gate down to stop it from getting into the city. And then apparently it was in such a bad mood that when people forced it back into the tower, it found a nearby terrier dog and picked it up and then just shook it around and then let it go. Like, okay, bud, I know it's not your fault. I was just, I'm, I'm just not having the best day. Yikes. <laughs> Why is this series full of like animals grabbing things and shaking them and letting them go? Uh, it's, it's a thing that animals are, uh, they're very into doing. Like you said, Ben, we are both uh, fond of our cats, fond maybe being a strong word. We definitely love them, but there are times where they might grab one of our prized possessions in their jaws and shake them back and forth. Like, uh, until, exactly. It's just uh, it's just part of who they are uh, as creatures, and, and we have to, to learn to, to live with it. Um, but I am excited. I, I, I adopted a kitten earlier this year, and it is pretty much crossed over into no longer a kitten territory. And while kittens are real cute, they're also absolutely feral and psychotic, and I'm Super happy that she's gotten a little bit more chill uh, over the the last couple of months. So nice! Uh, con con congratulations to you, Vanessa. You've you finally become a woman. Yeah, my cat's kind of getting that way too. Um, she's finally starting to get a little away from kitten to a little more like adult. But she's also six and a half, so <laughs> late bloomer. Yeah, and I don't know how much she's still. Yeah. As always, folks, feel free to go by Ridiculous Historians on Facebook and post pictures of your pets. Bonus points if they look like they're in some weird historical context. Uh, Photoshop allowed, I'll say. Photoshop allowed. It'll, it'll be like the boys' own paper, which was a mix of factual and fictional stories. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I'm going to be wondering about the title of that magazine for the rest of the day and we have other stuff to do today uh you know like a lot of people we're we're working to uh close out the books before the end of the year uh but we have had such a wonderful wild ride this year uh despite a global pandemic uh despite you know um despite personal things that have happened to us and all of us listening along at home we're really glad you're here um no offense to uh, myself, Noel, or Max, but we agree uh, you are the best part of this show, uh, and we cannot wait to hear from you. Uh, so thanks, as always, to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks, of course, to Casey Pegram and Noel. 
thanks to you. You know, one thing you could, you, one thing we can say about ridiculous history is that at no point in the history of our show have we ever been responsible for a tiger getting let loose into a city. Unless, unless I missed an email. No, I think we can definitely say that with confidence. Um, uh, and nothing even remotely approaching that level of uh, irresponsibility. So good on us, Ben. Good on us. Uh, and good on you, uh, Ridiculous Historians, for making it through this two-part episode. Uh, it was a journey for sure, and we're glad to have taken it together. Uh, you can, in fact, find us on the internet. We have a Facebook group. It is called Ridiculous Historians. Check that out. And while you're on the internet, why not pop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us uh, a five-star glowing review. Name us by name. Tell, tell us how much you, you, you enjoy our company as much as we enjoy yours, hopefully. And if you don't, then, you know, just take uh, the, the rabbit's advice from Bambi. And if you don't have anything nice to say, just, you know, don't say, say anything. Leave a star review and move on. And, of course, uh, a big, big thanks to uh, one of our ti- our favorite tigers loose on the streets of Atlanta as we speak, the Quister, Mr. Jonathan Strickland. Also, shout out to our good pals at Ridiculous Romance, Eli and Diana. Give them a listen. Max, you listened to the show recently. You were telling me about that at a. You were telling me about that while we were at a hot dice game. I think. Yes, yes, yes. A hot dice game at our company Christmas party. I took a Uber down, and I was like, I was listening to their podcast. And you guys always say like, "Oh yeah, they're a lot funnier than us." And I was listening to it. And I'm like, "Wow, they're way better at producing a podcast than me too." So. Hey. This is all around a better podcast, but you know, <laughs> we're I'm, we're glad you guys keep coming back here for us for some reason. Damn, Max. Damn. <sighs> Wait, no, we're you know what? We're okay too. That's how we're gonna end it. We are okay too. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.